Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Danielle Carter, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. If you have thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know, talk with us on Twitter at Cisco Champion. And just a heads up, before we get into our scheduled programming, the Cisco Insider Champion Program is now accepting applications through February. So if you are interested in becoming a member and joining this amazing community, apply today. You can find the link in the show notes below. All right. Today we are talking about Cisco ACI, and in particular, we are discussing how this networking solution for data centers enables businesses to innovate faster and minimize downtime by radically simplifying, optimizing, and accelerating infrastructure deployment and expediting the application deployment lifecycle. Our amazing cast of champions and experts are going to unpack what all of this means. So join us for what will sure be an informative conversation. So let's get started with introductions. Jian, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hi everyone, my name is Jian Zhou. I'm with PK Technology. I'm a principal network architect and we are a Cisco reseller. I'm leading the network and the cybersecurity practice for my company. Great. Micheline, you're up next. What do you do? Hi, good day, good morning, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Micheline Murphy. I'm a consulting systems engineer with Worldwide Technology. Uh, and uh, previous to that, I was an implementation engineer uh, specializing in designing, implementing, and troubleshooting Cisco ACI. Amazing. Okay, Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Danielle. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Bertino. I am a systems architect in the healthcare space and co-host of the Art of Network Engineering podcast. Yes. Okay, so we're going to get started with our experts introductions. Takuya, Jim, tell us a little bit about what you do at Cisco. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Takuya. I'm a technical marketing engineer in Cisco Network and Business Entity. So I'm working for HCI as um, a TME to design the, uh, the features and integrate the customer's feedback into our products to make our product and a customer's life easier and better. Hey folks, my name is Jim Mathers. Uh, I'm a product manager in the Nexus 9000 of the cloud networking, now the data center networking business unit at Cisco. Uh, I'm responsible for go-to-market strategy for uh, Nexus 9K and Cisco ACI specifically. I also manage our uh, partnerships with HashiCorp for Terraform integrations and Red Hat for Ansible integrations. Uh, I see a lot of familiar faces here. I think this is going to be a, a great discussion. So um, thanks everybody for taking the time. Great. Thank you for joining us today. So, Takuya or Jim, can you kick us off with a bit of background on today's topic? Sure. And thanks, Danielle. I think today we're going to talk about networking fabrics, which is a, a broad and a rich area that's top of mind for many enterprises and many networking teams as they go through refresh cycles from traditional three-tiered or spanning tree-based networks. We're going to talk about the decisions that we might need to make as we evaluate uh, a network fabric to adopt that's modern and ready for the future. And we're going to talk about how ACI can solve some very unique challenges that are currently facing enterprises, uh, IT organizations. Um, things like hybrid cloud readiness, uh, micro segmentation, and security, 
and really how we can use automation and an automated fabric to reduce uh, time to value and to accelerate business outcomes uh, in, in the enterprise. So again, I'll set the table with that and uh, let's um, let's get started. Okay, so for our champions, did you guys want to kick off with a question? <laughs> I'll I'll start out. So Jim said, "Let's eat." So let's eat. Um, I think I think the best thing would be to start out with let's just open it up and have a a high level conversation about ACI. Um, you know, what, a little bit about what it is about. You know, you know what makes it different from say spanning tree. Uh, and a layer, two, uh, traditional layer two, or even, you know, something like an OSPF based uh, layer three fabric. Um, and, you know, let's just kind of have that conversation about, uh, you know, why ACI? Yeah, Micheline, I think that's a good point to, to really frame this up because can we kind of start way back at the beginning at, at a really high level for folks that may not be, um, as in the know with what we're talking about, can we start with, you know, what's the difference between a traditional layer two spanning tree topology and a fabric? Can you give us a, a high level discussion on, on what a fabric is? Sure. And I will start and I definitely want to hear from Takuya here because he's going to fill in a lot of the technical gaps that, that I can't get to. So I think um, when you look at ACI versus a traditional network or a traditional network fabric, what we're talking about in terms of differences are the prescriptive network design choices that are made by Cisco. We've, we've been doing this for a while um, in ACI versus having to make those choices on your own as an enterprise. So when you evaluate the three main forwarding technologies out there today, uh, spanning tree uh, with three tier technology, uh, VXLAN to the top of rack where we can extend layer two over an encapsulated routed network, and then a policy based network like ACI. If you compare those, ACI is different in that the network itself is built for you out of the box with what I call day zero automation. So if you look at it from an enterprise IT perspective, as we're evaluating new fabrics, standards-based fabrics or spanning tree-based fabrics require months and potentially years of design work, design decisions. Someone mentioned OSPF, which routing protocol are we gonna use? How are we gonna achieve redundancy? Are we gonna have dual connected servers or single connected servers? Are we gonna integrate with a hypervisor? And these are all decisions that must be made by the customer and usually capitalized from different vendors. And so it can make the time to market or the time to value for that customer longer. And then if you enter something like ACI, ACI comes out of the box with a prescriptive underlay, leaf, spine, and, uh, and most of, of the overlay design. And we also, someone mentioned, what is the definition of a fabric? And I think if you ask five different engineers that you, you may get five different answers, but my definition is something that has prescriptive performance and predictable, um, predictable outcomes and latency across the network. So with ACI, I think of the rigid leaf spine model that we have. I think of the controller as the single northbound point of configuration. And I think about how we turn up new ports and new leaf switches quickly so that we don't have to make, you know, hundreds of decisions ahead of adding capacity to the network. And again, I want to, I want to cue you to fill in some of my, uh, my spaces there. Of course. Thank you, Jim. So, um, the gym summarized, uh, the points very well, uh, but if I add to you what, uh, that will be, um, my view of the ACI will be, um, if I say ACI in a one line, the goal of the ACI is to simplify the data center operation. And then in the data center, we have the fabric 
and then to provide the network for all the uh, surrounding networks in the data center, servers, on firewalls, or maybe the WAN uh, network connectivity, all of them are connected in the um, through the fabric. And then the ACI provides the simple way to provide one fabric and then to handle that one fabric as one entity with the uh, single controller. So they, uh, that's the, um, and the underlying uh, network will be built for you on uh, automatically. As soon as you bring up the uh, ACA fabric, the underlying VXM fabric is already there, ready to be used. So you just focus on what kind of a network you want to deploy on top of that VXM network without diving into the VXM design and configuring each single switches to do what you actually want to do after that. When I talk to customers, especially customers for whom ACI is something new, and, and I tell them that, you know, oh, VXLAN is what's, un, you know, it's kind of what's under the hood. It's kind of the engine that drives ACI. And then what you interface with is, you know, the APIC controller, and you're kind of a step removed from that. You know, that's uh, really interesting to a lot of folks because, you know, uh, I, I don't know uh, for the, the group here or with our uh, with our listeners, you know, putting up a, an open source VXLAN fabric from the CLI is a, um, it's a complicated process. <laughs> yeah, Michelina, I was gonna, I was gonna build on what Takuya said. Yeah, having done that before, um, com to compare and contrast the decisions that need to be made to build a standards-based fabric, you know, first of all, you know, that word build is important. You have to build it. And by building it, that means making 20 to 50 to 100 yeah. micro decisions prior to doing so. Yeah. And and not necessarily related to a fabric, uh, Tim, but you asked about what is a fabric and what makes ACI different. It's really the configuration point. Traditional networks are, are configured um, historically on a box by box or a switch by switch basis. And if you think about mobility domains, or you think about network constructs that need to touch the entire fabric, and the example that I use is VRF. In traditional networks, if you wanna configure a, a different routing table or different VRF, you're touching tens or hundreds of devices. And the amount of times that you can introduce error or configuration drift in that model is enormous. And so we're talking about stability here. Whereas with ACI, a VRF can be deployed to an entire data center fabric by touching a single configuration point. And so we're lessening the, the opportunity for error there and really speeding up how fast we can do that. Yeah, so I, I really saw that all kinds of different benefits, like when we compare between the uh, standard VXLAN and the ACI solution, right? So uh, from my experience, like I saw that the, uh, as Tim asked, right, the uh, the upgrade path for data center technology, right? So I saw that at the very beginning, there is a spanning tree, right? If we have a loop, we have a redundant link, the spanning tree will block one of the link so that there, there will be a no uh, broadcast storm, right? And then later on, we have another technology called VPC, which enable us to use redundant links at the same time, right? So it really gave us a better link utilization. Right, so that's the issue the uh, VPC technology solved, right? And now, like we have the uh, VXN ACI technology, right? I would think there is a much, much more benefit and there is more problem that the uh, ECI and VXLAN technology can solve, right? So uh, I'm just going to point some of those, right? For example, if we have traditional VLAN based 
data center network, right? The uh, segmentation, the maximum segmentation number we're going to have is around 4,000, right? Because the VLAN field in the IP packet is only 12 bits, right? It gives us like 4,000 available space, right? But with the uh, VXLAN, the ECI, right? See, so we use a VNI as a, um, a network segmentation, which has 24 bits in IP packets, right? Which gave us like 16 million available space for us to use and as well as the uh, another benefit will be we will be able to extend extend layer 2 domain across layer 3 boundary right so that we can have a vlan 10 for example anywhere when we want it right and uh, there is also like multi-tenancy enablement as well as many other benefits i was gonna say i think uh Jean brings up a really good point um Multi-tenancy is a, a thing that I find I have to um, take some time to describe uh, to, you know, the traditional CLI jockey, because it's very, very different idea from, you know, a VRF, which everybody's pretty, pretty much familiar with. Could you guys take a, just a moment and just tell us about a little bit about multi-tenancy and how does ACI support that and, and what does that look like? You, you beat me to it, Micheline. That, that, that always happens. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. So it, it's it's a good point. When you when you think of traditional networks and traditional network engineers, we've thought of multi-tenancy in the form of a VRF or a separate and private routing table. And I would say that definition still holds in, in many different use cases. There's a difference, though, between um, multi-tenancy in the form of a VRF and what I call administrative multi-tenancy. And with administrative multi-tenancy, we're able to give different groups in the organization completely different and separate networks. Underneath that, you can have VRFs, but we're separating these things at the administrative boundary so that something that, say, Takuya configures in his tenant will not have any impact on Jim's tenant. And this is important for a couple of reasons. The first are the use cases that stem from that. Imagine that you can give different networking teams in your enterprise tenants based on the applications they support. For example, maybe one team supports internal applications like email or SharePoint, and another team uh, supports external facing applications, and you don't want any changes made to the network constructs in those two groups to have impact um, on one another. Uh, or what if you have a, uh, an application that you're developing in dev, test, and prod, which is the typical life cycle of an application? We have customers that are using a tenant for dev, a tenant for test, and a tenant for prod, so they are separating the working groups by tenant. Underneath, they may have VRFs, they may have any other network constructs they want, but the point is, is that neither's work will affect the other. And the final point I want to make is this notion of multi-tenancy is why we're seeing a lot of customers tell us that they're deploying ACI in hybrid cloud networks. They're deploying ACI in mobility domains or, or regions, if you will, depending on the term du jour, where they're migrating applications between an on-prem ACI fabric and a public cloud instance like AWS. And they can do that easily because a, uh, ACI, excuse me, has the object model that really matches public cloud. All these public clouds had this the same notion of administrative multi-tenancy. And so we're seeing folks make decisions based on cost or uh, security or auditing or geo compliance as to where to position an application on-prem or public cloud and ACI enables that. I want to ask uh, about another question. It is a question uh, uh, 
uh, of the comparison between uh, a standard VXLAN and the ACI, right? So uh, let's say that if I have a standard VXLAN environment, right? If I am a, a programmer from a develop uh, department, right? If I need a new resource provisioned for me, so I need to call networking team, ask them to make change in the VXLAN. I need to call the server team, ask them to do something in their uh, virtualization environment. And probably I need to schedule a meeting for all three of us to uh to make sure that everything is uh, it's configured and it's working right i heard that uh aci has a great integration with a virtual environment regarding putting the uh, a virtual machine in the right place and do the proper configuration in the uh, virtual machine uh, networking environment could you please uh, uh, provide us more detail on that sure so um that's called a uh, virtual machine manager feature and then let's uh, take one simple example to explain the power of that feature. So let's say uh, one of the first thing that you might want to discuss with the uh, network between the network team and the sysadmin team will be which VLAN do we want to use for this new service? So which VLAN do we need to apply on which interface on the network side and then on the server side? So just for that simple information, we may need to uh, make sure that all the teams on the board are in sync. But with the VMM integration feature, um, we can push the VLAN information that we have on ACI to the hypervisor manager, such as the uh, SCVMM from the Microsoft or the vCenter from the VMware, so that the server team will just see that the uh, VLAN that we are the network team are already using and then that are available for them to use in which uh, interface is connected to which server. So that saves a lot of time just to sync up between the uh, teams. Yeah, well said Takuya uh, and Takuya really did a good job hitting on the first one. The, the first one is sort of a culture thing and how can we reduce the time to implement network constructs across physical networks and hypervisor networks, and that would be taking the power and giving that to the network admins so that when they configure VLANs and things like that, those are automatically placed into the vSwitch, and so you're really removing a step from the provisioning cycle. Another way to look at VMM is visibility, and because we have an API-based integration with all of these vendors, uh, the hypervisor and compute vendors, we're actually able to see rich information about the VMs, about the endpoints that are in the virtualized network. And there's a lot of use cases here. The first is obviously a day two sort of visibility troubleshooting use case. Uh, for example, where are all my VMs that are part of this application? What hypervisor are they on? What leaf switch are they on? What port are they on? They allow rich visibility into that environment. So, you know, your, your uh, mean time to innocence or your mean time to repair issues can go way down. Um, but the second one is, in ACI, once we have that visibility, we're able to make classification decisions based on metadata that's tagged on the endpoint. For example, if we learn about metadata surrounding a VM uh, in a hypervisor, we can actually take that metadata and use it to place workloads in an EPG or an ESG. And then we can enact microseg or different security policies on those ESGs and EPGs leveraging the dynamic membership that we get from uh, things like tags and other metadata that comes from the hypervisor. I did want to push on that cultural discussion a little bit more. And this is 
really going to be posed to Micheline and, and Jen dealing with your backgrounds and your customers at a high level. Um, I, I really do think there is a there can be a disconnect in traditional networking when it comes to virtualization in that the network team manages the physical network. The sysadmins typically manage the virtual network, including those virtual switches. So you can have the disconnect of the networking team calls a VLAN a certain name, the sysadmin team calls that same VLAN a different name in, in the virtual space. So are, are you seeing more and more adoption of VMM type integration when where the networking team really just takes uh, the full responsibility of configuring the network, both in the physical or virtual space? Or are, are you seeing some, some points of contention there with different uh, systems administration teams? Yeah, I want to answer this question first, right? I'm seeing like a different scenario, right? But uh, but the most common scenario that I'm seeing is the networking team and system and administration team. They're working more and more like one single team, right? Because it's no longer separate. Because if you consider the separate team operation, maybe like the 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 efficiency can be improved. Right, but by like combining both teams when we talk about a new implementation as well as day to operation, right? There's really a big efficiency gain there, right? So when the team collaborate, work together, right? It no matter if the day to operation tasks were taken care of by network team or system administration team, right? There will be a meeting prior to that uh, day to operation tasks so that everyone will be on the same, uh, uh, everyone will know the uh, same common concepts. Everyone, everyone will have the same operating process, right? So it doesn't matter if it's a network team or a system animation team, because everyone knows how to do the thing, uh, how to do, uh, do a specific task in a standardized way, right? So that's just my opinion. That, that's interesting that you noticed that the best outcomes came when the teams collaborated. Um, I actually noticed the same thing. Some of the best outcomes I've had were when network team and the sysadmin team, you know, they were there for the same, you know, knowledge transfer about how ACI builds, you know, port groups, how it sends that information directly to the hypervisor. And, you know, if, if everything has been set up right, what the network team does will show up in the hypervisor and be replicated so that the sysadmin team can then engage in like the real brain work of making sure that the, the right VMs or EPGs get into the right port groups. Um, you know, that that kind of collaboration and, and learning of that integration uh, really made for much more success. But I've also seen circumstances where the networking team they take that on as part of networking. And then the, the, the domain for the network team expands where they cover the virtual switch as well, uh, because that, that as ACI is done. Um, it's, uh, it, it really just kind of depends on the culture of the customer and you know size and personality and all of those things that you can't you know hit a radial button in ACI for all come into play. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Micheline. It, it depends on the size of the customer, the size of the virtualization team, the size of the networking team. 
I, I hear it both ways. Most commonly, I hear that the virtualization folks would like their constructs pushed down from the APIC and the network folks to control those. However, there are many customers where there is a ton of network expertise in the virtualization team, and they actually want the source of truth to be the hypervisor, and they want the hypervisor to push constructs into ACI. And, and, and I think that's a, a perfectly fine model. It really depends on culture and org and, and size and, and politics to some degree. Yeah, and I think this is uh, this is not a new question uh, with the uh, ACI solution, right? This may already be a question when we talk about the UCS, right? Because remember, like when like we have the UCS solution, we have the UCS server controlled by the IFI fabric interconnect, right? So there was already a discussion regarding oh who should take care of this uh, solution, right? Will there be the uh, networking team configure the IFI fabric interconnect and then do the, uh, uh, and uh, let the system element team to uh, take care of the server portion or like the two teams should uh, work together and uh, collaboratively to, uh, to maintain the uh, data operation for the overall solution. Yeah, another good point. I think it's important to note with VMM that there's nothing particularly magic about it or proprietary. It's an API based integration and, and many customers will build these integrations themselves based on, for example, the open stack API or the vSphere API, the ACI API and either other APIs in their technology stack. The advantage of VMM is that Cisco does that for you. For example, when you upgrade your ACI or you upgrade your uh, hypervisor manager, you don't have to worry about what may have changed with the API or what may have changed with new API endpoints. It stays the same, so you don't have to have an, a development effort to stay current with your workflows. VMM sort of takes care of that for you. I have another question regarding the uh, technical perspective, right? So I have talked to uh, many customers. So many, many customers, they are aware that they need to uh, um, do the migration or upgrade their like uh, VLAN-based or spanning tree-based uh, data center network to the uh, uh, micro-segmentation supported the next generation uh, data center technology for many, many reasons, right? For security compliance, for uh, reduced attack service, for multi-tenancy, right? For scalability, for automation, for many, many reasons. But uh, like those customers, the reason that they have not uh, moved to the, uh, the micro-segmentation for data center networking yet is that they, they don't know what the process will look like. Like, will there be a very complex process? Well, and how can they like uh, do it step by step? Like do the smooth transition from a traditional Nexus-based, command-line-based, um, like or spanning tree-based data center network to the micro-segmentation to ACI solution to a modern data center network? So I guess uh, I can take a step at it first. So, um... Let's start with the uh, command line based and then the um, controller based approach. So I think it's there's a pros and cons, like because everybody is already familiar with the CLI. And then for some folks, maybe the controller or the automation aspect of it might be a little bit uh, new to them. But um, if your fabric consists of, let's say, more than, um, I would say, five switches or 10 switches, then I'm I can assure that they must have thought that it's a tedious job to do the CLI configuration on every single switches, even though they know what kind of command that they need to type in. 
So for those kind of environment, um, if you just take uh, a little bit time to learn how the controller-based or the automation-based solution <laughs> works, then it makes the operation lives much easier. So that's the uh, the first uh, step or first reason to move to the controller-based solution. But let's say if you have just uh, two or three switches, then yes, probably uh, moving to the controller-based solution is not the right solution for you. It's just uh, too much on uh, learning curve for what you would get instead. I was going to say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you on that one because I've seen customers with small fabrics. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got maybe they've got two spine switches, but maybe have maybe you know three or maybe four racks. So it's not very large, but they still struggle. You know, if they've got uh, ACLs or ACLs, however you want to pronounce it, you know, there's you know I've seen ACLs that just they they there are hundreds of lines. No one wants to take a line out of them because you know, God forbid. Nobody knows who put this line in or what it goes to, or if I take it out, it's going to break, you know, so it does it belong on on this interface or this other interface. Is it in? Is it out? You know, did it get put on the right interfaces? You know, I think that that can be a management nightmare in and of itself, even if the fabric is really small. So, yeah. you know, thank you in Michelle. terms of ACI, ACI. Talk to us a little bit about how, even if you've got a small environment, ACI is a, is a step forward. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. And that's a very good point. So uh, comparison between the, just the CLI and the controller-based solution, uh, and, and that was on my first take. But after that, once you move to the controller solution-based, then you will have much more benefit just in the uh, CLI or just the difference between the configuration methods. Because on the controller-based solution like ACI, just like you mentioned, you can configure multiple switches, maybe um, just two or three switches or hundreds of switches. It doesn't really matter. But those uh, number of switches can be configured as just one single entity. You're going to have to think of each switches individually. So um, the amount of the uh, actual physical work may not be that different if it's the um just two switches or three switches but the actual maintenance or the management that you need to think about or the design on possibilities that will be a huge difference between the uh controller based solution and managing individual switches one by one so well so well said takuya i think management of acls um acls have to be you know, deterministically placed in a network to get in the forwarding path. They don't migrate with the workload. And in large networks, managing complex ACLs quickly becomes, you know, an OPEX nightmare. So we haven't really talked about ACI from the policy perspective. We've talked about it from hybrid cloud, automation, uh, and, and a couple of other things. But the fact that we can enact networking intent from a policy perspective at a single point of orchestration would be another very large, um, very large value of ACI in terms of wherever the workload migrates, we're going to enact the same policy, wherever the switch is, wherever the hypervisor is. So that's, that's sort of the first part of, of the point I wanted to make, but to the point of micro segmentation, yes, ACI is very elegant when it comes to micro segmentation in that it can enact policy fabric wide 
with a single point of configuration. But the cultural challenge of microsegmentation has nothing to do with technology. It has to do with greenfield versus brownfield. I would, I would challenge anyone that, that's on the panel here or anyone listening to ask, ask your application developers, which ports and protocols does the application use? If you've ever done that, like I have many, many, many times in my career in enterprise IT, the answer you typically, typically get is silence. And so without uh, what? What's important protocol? Right. So without understanding how applications talk to each other, microsegmentation is something of a pipe dream. So what, what we see customers having most success with is in greenfield, and I don't mean greenfield network fabrics. I mean greenfield applications where the network team is involved at the front. They're using a fabric with a policy intent-based system, and they can discover those ports and protocols and enact that microsegmentation from the start. If you're looking, I hear a lot of times, I hear customers tell me, you know, we are a large enterprise. We have thousands of applications. We do not have micro segmentation. How do we get there? And, and that is, it's a good question in that uh, the intent is noble. However, it's loaded and it's specific to the culture and the organization. And frankly, it's very, very difficult. So for the Cisco champions, I'd be interested to hear from John and Tim about how do you tackle that conversation? in the wild. I can start there. And I honestly, I, I think you have to do, if you want it to be successful, you have to do whatever you can to make it easy on everybody else. And that's where I think not only, I, I like the concept of the greenfield approach where any new application, you get the right people involved up front and you can do that analysis. But for anything existing, I almost think you you have to try to to leverage some other solution that is, you know, some sort of span or tap that's that's getting packets and analyzing what the applications are doing. So you can paint that picture to the organization and say, hey, we want to get to micro segmentation. Here is what we're seeing on the network and here's the policies that that we're suggesting. Otherwise, I I almost think it's too hard of a hill to climb if you're relying on just um, meeting with groups and, and investigating manually what those applications are doing. So, so from my perspective, right? So I think it's more like from, uh, uh, from, uh, two perspectives, right? So first of all, we, we have to talk about security, right? When we talk about micro segmentation, like security is a demand, right? It's a really a hard demand. It's not that something that we can think that, oh, we want to ignore it, or we want to say that maybe we can maybe we can just uh, uh, live without it, right? But uh, the, the threats are there, right? The back actors are there. So it is very necessary to, uh, to, uh, to reduce the attack service as much as we could, right? So the micro segmentation, especially for a data center environment, I think is critical, right? And on another perspective, the reason why, the, the reason that why some customers does not do it is that about the uh, the the process, the migration process, where the uh, uh, operating efficiency, right? So they're thinking that by adding the uh, network segmentation may may make it harder, may make it more complex for them to operate. But uh, in some scenario, it's not the case, right? So for example, if we talk about application, right? If we talk about a traditional three tier application architecture, we have the web server, right? For example, uh, like uh, engines. We have the application tier, uh, for example, like it could be Django, and we have the database tier, which could be like MySQL, right? So with a traditional infrastructure, if you want to do the uh, achieve the firewalling between each tier, 
it is complex, right? So you only have 4,000 VLANs. Like for a simple application with these three tiers, you want to direct the traffic and between each tier to a separate firewall. And that firewall many times could needs to be a layer two firewall because there could not be a layer three up between two application tiers, right? And it's not something easy to do with the traditional infrastructure. But when you have the micro segmentation, when you talk about a solution like ACI, right? It will be much more simpler, right? So you just put each tier's application or each tier's server into its own EPG. And all you need to do is just define a contract and the layer two connection and the access secure access control on top of on top of it will be automatically achieved for you. So it's really like uh, from those two perspectives. I think yeah. it's really interesting because uh, everybody's experience, it sounds like to me, uh, and it reflects my own experience, which is that a lot of times the networking team doesn't know how the applications need to talk to each other and neither does the application team. And so, uh, that suggestion that you do, or you're we're going to do the greenfield approach and have everybody in the same room and talk to each other about what needs to talk to who and who needs to talk to what and who shouldn't be talking to each other. That's the sort of conversation you have when you don't have any idea what your traffic is doing. And, um, you know, so I have had this exact same conversation with customers before about wanting to get to micro segmentation. You know, and getting to lock down their, um, their networks and I said, well, do you know how your applications talk to each other? And there's again, there's, there's, it's that it's the same response as if you ask the application team, what ports and interfaces do you need up? Um, so, but just being able to understand that traffic is just is so important and, you know, with ACI, uh, you know. Well, I think one of the hardest things that I've had to learn for myself and then to pass on to, to, to engineering teams as they're learning ACI is just the change of focus from things like, you know, packets and VLANs to EPGs and EPGs talking to each other and EPGs not talking to each other. And it doesn't matter where the EPG sits because the APIC is going to take care of the you know, the security between EPGs, no matter where your, where your endpoints are. Micheline, well said, I think a lot of this conversation starts with compliance and every industry has different compliance mandates for their traffic flows. What I see is everything from when, the, when these two tiers of the app talk, they need to be in their own separate container. And if, as long as they're in that container, they can talk freely. That's one model. Another model is these two parts of the app, when they talk, there must be a packet filter between them. And even another model is if these two endpoints talk, there must be an external stateful firewall between them. And when you talk about those three different, um, three different paradigms, you, you have to think about them all different ways in terms of what the solution can cover. I wanted to talk briefly about some of ACI's advantages there. The first is this notion of endpoint security group, which is the evolution of EPG. An endpoint security group is a bucket or a container for endpoints that would span containers, virtual machines, and bare metal, VRF-wide, not tied to a layer two bridge domain or a layer two network, where we can group 
endpoints based on business outcome and, and two things that customers tell us that they're doing from that regard. One is when a customer builds a new multi-tier application that might consist of web, uh, some middleware and a database, they take all those endpoints and they stick them in an ESG for two reasons. The first is based on compliance, all the endpoints can talk to each other, but nothing else can talk to them. Number two, that gives the network operator a seat at the infosec table a seat at the auditing table, and even a seat at the application table because they're able to see all the parts of an application by pulling up an ESG and ACI, something that they're comfortable with. So they're able to, to visualize um, how they want to look at that. So the other part of ACI I want to call out here, um, in financial, uh, some governments, there is a requirement that every flow between every system be redirected to a stateful firewall. And so this notion of uh, service chaining and policy-based redirect based on the application is, is a place where, you know, the shameless product manager in me will say, a place where ACI excels the ability to take a certain type of app and redirect it, not based on the destination routing table, which is no good because we, have, we, we don't want to be um, prescriptive as to where these appliances sit. We want to put them all in the same place. But the ability to redirect those based on EPG and to a specific IP services appliance or not, I hear a lot that between the web and the middleware, we need a stateful firewall. But between the middleware and the database, not only do we not need a stateful firewall, we don't want one because believe it or not, microseconds that get incurred on that hop affect the application performance. So with ACI and EPG and ESG, we can really take different flows in the application and direct them to the right services appliance based on compliance and performance. And so there you go. That's, I'm, I'm finished with my product manager plug. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to ask a question about uh, the uh, improvement of uh, of operation efficiency, right? So I know that with the traditional infrastructure, right, when the, um, for example, the development development team need a resource, right? So I need to uh, create a case, I need to involve the networking team, and uh, they may need to work on some VLAN, the IP address, the subnet, and then the uh, the system administration team needs to be involved. They need to work on the, the VM, uh, the, 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 responding re uh, the corresponding resource, and many, many times those team needs to work together to troubleshoot because many times things not work as expected, right? Then they need to work together to figure out maybe the, the, the so sometimes maybe the issue is about the uh, virtual networking piece, right? How to uh, bridge the virtual networking to the physical networking, how to configure the uh, the, the port mode on the virtual, net virtual networking side and how to do the same like configuration on the physical network side. So it's really not an automated process. It's really a lot, lot of human uh, interaction involved a lot of like a disconnected point, right? So I want I, I want to know that if we have a, a ACI solution with the automation integrated all together, maybe with the service now. So how easy the uh, the ticket or the uh, resource require uh, a ticket could be solved, and how easy like I uh, as a, as a member in development team, how soon can I get my resource ready for me? I can start there, Jin. <clears throat> so I, I want to first. I want to say thank you for the question, and I'd, I'd like to redirect um, some of this conversation to a podcast we recently recorded. Uh, I think it may have been season ten, episode three, uh, where we where we talk about this 
very question here. And so I'm just going to set the table briefly because I think this is going to be a rich area of conversation. Uh, ACI excels in two areas with automation. We talked about day zero. This is out of the box to fig configuring the underlay, the overlay, the leaf spine, um, so that customers do not have to make hundreds of micro decisions in order to get from, you know, out of the box to, to operating and, and achieving business outcomes. But ACI also uh, shines when it comes to day one automation. When I think about day one automation, it starts with the ServiceNow ticketing queue, and it starts with a task that needs to be completed. If you think of common moves, ads, and changes in network teams, I need to add a new subnet. I need to add a VLAN to a switch port. ACI accelerates this or, or, or really optimizes this because of its integrations with Ansible and Terraform. Uh, Terraform, as folks know, uh, is the de facto tool used to provision public cloud networks. So when we have folks that are very comfortable with Terraform from a public cloud perspective, the jump to ACI and using the Terraform provider for ACI for those same workflows with the same API and object model is a very easy jump. So those day one automation tasks, instead of having to touch 100 switches manually, or, or use a homegrown automation routine to touch 100 switches, we're doing it with a single northbound API that's been optimized for Terraform uh, that's supported by the business unit here. I, I guess, let, let me, um, let me uh, um, I'm always in intrigued by audiences like this in terms of market research, and I'd like to ask the, the champions, what, what are you seeing in terms of how people are consuming ACI from your customer base? Are you seeing people consuming ACI using the GUI? Are, are you seeing people using the API using either Python or Postman or perhaps something homegrown? And, and are you seeing um, any evolution or any transition towards an Ansible or Terraform? I would like to hear uh, from, the, from the panel. So from what I'm seeing, right, I think it's a still like uh, like a upgrade pass, right? So most of the customer I'm seeing, they still use the uh, ACI GUI, right? Because the GUI itself is already like an automated tool, right? It, it, pro it already provide a huge improvement of operation efficiency than the command line based, the old solution, right? So I think that's the uh, that's like uh, 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 different steps towards the uh, towards the uh, uh, the best solution, right? So I'm saying that some of them like start thinking about like infrastructure as code automation. Right, but I, I think for now, at the moment, I think the ACI GUI already like meet the require meet the business requirement of many of my customers. Awesome, yeah, thanks, Jen. That, that's that's great to hear. Um, we do have many customers tell us that they're using the GUI, and we have some that are, you know, as they achieve, you know, maturity in their automation journey, they are starting to experiment with API-based configuration methods and even, you know, looking into Ansible and Terraform. What about you, Micheline? What, what are you seeing out there? A little bit rarefied company uh, because many of my peers in my former role were in the position where they would be the engineer brought on to stand up their ACI fabric. So a lot of my peers were already using Terraform. We're already using Ansible to, to fully automate a customer's fabric and they'd stand up, they they get the information for the, you know, what cus the customer needed in terms of uh, land space, um, and, or EPGs, what they needed in terms of, uh, security policy, you know, they push it into, uh, um, uh, an Excel spreadsheet, uh, and then they, and they push it into, uh, you know, whatever automation that they were using at the time and stand up a fabric in a matter of a day or so, you know, so I've seen that far end of the spectrum. 
but I've also dealt with customers for whom this is their very first ACI experience uh, and wanted it to be a good one. So we started learning with the GUI so that people could really wrap their brains around how just from a thought process perspective, it was so much different than, you know, your traditional spanning tree, your traditional uh, CLA non-fabric. Um, and I've had customers who just stay with the GUI, they get very comfortable there. And then I've had customers who are like, can you show us how do I pull down, you know, the, the domain name for this object? And then they're often running like, you know, like somebody just smacked them on the, on the backside. So, you know, I've, I've, it, it's, it's exciting to watch, you know, when you're working with a customer, they've got some experience, they want to know, you know, how, well, how do I find this object name, you know, and then the next thing, you know, they've built a hundred EPGs because they were able to take advantage of the, uh, of the APIs. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I have to remember when I, when I speak to customers that, you know, it's easy to hear the utopian pitch about automation, right? Oh, it simplifies things and makes your life faster. But that's really sort of, um, that's that can be a non-starter depending on where you are in your automation journey because just the number of decisions you have to make even to get started is is can be overwhelming. Uh, but I like what you said, Micheline. Once an engineer sees the value of an automated routine, then sort of the rest is history because the value starts, the routine is shared and if you can get to that point where a network operations team sees the value in any automated routine, this could be Python, Terraform, Ansible, anything with the API, that can snowball very quickly as long as we get the adoption and the buy-in from management. I mean, it usually starts at the bottom, and then that culture needs to be realized and start to come down with, with decisions, financial decisions, OPEX and CAPEX from, from uh, IT, IT leadership. Okay, sounds good. So before I close us out, uh, Takuya or Jim, did you guys have any final thoughts? Sure. Yeah, Danielle, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. It's great to hear perspectives uh, from the market, from different walks of life, uh, different seats. Um, you know, ACI is a unique fabric where we want to get the messages out about micro-segmentation, we want to get the messages out about automation, and we want to get the messages out about um, about hybrid cloud. So again, appreciate all the awesome feedback on this call and all the awesome conversation. Yeah, same here. I appreciate this opportunity and then all the um, great um, conversation and discussion about the and how the ACI can fit in the market, how ACI can fit in the customer's needs. So that was great. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Another great episode on the books. To our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, you can check out the resources provided in the show notes below. And this is your weekly reminder. You can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts to our latest releases. So wherever you're listening, make sure you click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week.